Wellness Force Radio, episode 24. I mean, I was investigating several doctors during my career there, a lot of bad doctors. And I just went, okay, I'm starting to think the whole medical community is just a sham. And then I went to the FDA and I got to see the, the food and drug side and I got to see that ugly world and I went, oh my God, everything we're being taught is wrong. Welcome back to another episode of Wellness Force Radio. I am your host and digital health coach, Josh Trent. Thank you so much for sharing your busy day here on the podcast. And if you're here for the first time, Wellness Force Radio is where I bring you the most inspiring and passionate experts in behavior change and wellness technology. These are the thought leaders. They dedicate their lives to empowering others with the knowledge and tools that drive real transformation in our physical and emotional wellness. Today's show is brought to you by wellnessforce.com, where you'll learn how to change old habits with new technology. Explore wellnessforce.com to see if digital health coaching is right for you. Wherever you are, are you using the podcast app on your iPhone? Tap the screen where you see the show logo. You'll discover all the links and show notes from today's interview with Gary pop up easily on your screen. Hit the review link in purple and take just 60 seconds to leave an honest review to be published live on iTunes. That amazing review allows me to keep the lights on for the show and to keep serving this community by bringing on world-class people who are making a difference and changing lives. Just like our guest on the show today, Gary Collins. Gary and I had a dynamic discussion today. I feel like we covered almost everything in the health sphere, not quite, but almost, including some great information around the secrets behind the USDA and FDA, everything paleo, a little trash talk here and there about CrossFit, but good for a healthy discussion, as well as intermittent fasting success, taking away sugar cravings, female training versus male training, and government policy that affects our health. This is a great episode. If you've ever felt overwhelmed in the age of over-information in regards to health, Gary's going to do a great job of shining truth and distilling what we really need in the health sphere beyond paleo. So without further waiting, let's bring on Gary. Gary, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Josh. This is going to be fun. We're both San Diego natives. And today's show is all about uncovering the real truth in the foods that we eat, the movements that we do, and the wellness lifestyle that we're told is best for us. Gary has such a deep and unique background in wellness and governmental policy. So today, we get to learn the real truth behind USDA policies that really impact our lives and most importantly, our behavior. Gary, you have been all over the place. You've been featured globally online, in print, all across the web. I'm curious, man, what is something fun or interesting that most people don't know about you? Well, they know a lot about my, as far as my government background and working for the FDA and being a federal agent and working with the Department of Health and Human Services. But a lot of them don't know that my passion comes from growing up in a small, small town in the middle of nowhere. And I grew up in the Sierra Nevadas in California. And when everyone thinks California, they think LA, they think huge cities. I grew up in a town with a bunch of rednecks, you know, and half my town was Indian reservation. Half the town was basically a bunch of rednecks. It was an interesting dichotomy. And, you know, 1800 people, you know, we grew up hard, you know, a lot of us didn't have money, but we grew up with good food. And, you know, I grew up with, you know, free range cattle free range chickens, you know, um, free range pork. I mean, everything was done right. 
I don't remember anyone administering antibiotics I can remember. Sure. But the problem was, just like everyone else, my main foods were Captain Crunch and Pop-Tarts and Kool-Aid. Um, but I was surrounded by that type of food. So I have a history. I grew up hunting and fishing. I went through the hunter safety course at age 12. That's the earliest age you can go and get, get through the course. So I've been at this a long, long time. And what I'm doing is I call going back to my roots by going back and moving outside into a small town again in a more rural area. And it's cool because you came from, and I want to say the town just because I've passed by it 20 times on the way to Mammoth. It's Lone Pine, California. If you guys don't know this, it's the key gateway to the basin and to Mount Whitney. It's a phenomenal environment. However, when I've driven through, I've always been like, who lives here? (laughs) So Gary Collins is from there. And he really, man, you're a diamond that came from this hot slash snowy slash really cool place. So Gary is the author of Primal Power Methods series. He's a former FDA special agent. He obviously was born in in Southern California, but he lived in Lone Pine. He holds a degree in exercise science, criminal justice, and a master's in forensic science. As he touched on, he's worked for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration as a special agent. This career took him around the world, gave him unique perspective on not only how the United States, but the world is affected by our food, drug, and healthcare policies. Gary is a sought-after speaker. He's spoken for Fortune 500 companies, colleges. He's actually a collegiate professor. But really, he is extremely passionate about the pursuit of optimal health in mind, body, and soul. He has two goals, really clear, to make being healthy as simple and enjoyable as possible and to give people the truth. Gary, when you talk about giving people the truth, Paint a picture for people listening that might not know about your your path in the government space and uncovering different pieces of policy. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd always been passionate about sports and health. So I started playing competitive sports at age seven, played football, basketball, baseball, was a skateboarder, BMXer, rode motorcycles, skied. Um, I did anything you could do that was outdoors. And we were very fortunate where I grew up because I was poor, you know, all of us were poor, that we got to participate in sports that we would never be exposed to. We got to play golf. I went skiing for a buck. I'd go to Mammoth Mountain and our ski pass was a dollar through the program. So that led me on to my, you know, my whole life playing sports up through college. And I kept playing intramurals and played on competitive teams and played tackle football till I was 26. And then kind of went into government life. And from there, you know, I'd always been unhealthy though. It was weird that, you know, I I was this athlete and a lot of us were, but I always had all these issues. I had asthma, eczema, horrible seasonal allergies, sinus infections, you know, these chronic diseases or, you know, chronic problems that I just never could figure out. I thought, you know, it's just gotta be bad genetics. I, I just, I don't know what's going on. And as I aged, I became a federal agent. I first worked for the U.S. State Department. That's where I traveled all over the world. And got to see how other cultures ate. We'd often, you know, embed ourselves in the culture and eat their foods. And we'd go through their their open markets where they would shop every single day. And I was like, wow, this is completely different. There's no grocery stores here. You know, it's just markets. It's outdoor markets. You got to look your, you know, the person who's selling you the food in the eye every mm-hmm. single day. So that taught me a lot of things. But understanding um, kind of as I got to the FDA and U.S. Department of Health and Immune Services, I got to see the inside and I started understanding how modern medicine truly worked and it scared the death out of me. I was investigating several doctors during my career there, a lot of bad doctors. And 
I just went, okay, I'm starting to think the whole medical community is just a sham. And then I went to the FDA and I got to see the, the food and drug side and I got to see that ugly world and I went, oh my God, everything we're being taught is wrong. And it started with actually doing investigations into holistic practitioners and organic food uh, producers. And don't get me wrong, and this is something I always tell people. As I've evolved in my life and career, and now I'm in the natural health side, I warn people, there's just as many crooks on the modern medicine side as there is on the holistic and natural medicine side. What types of things did you see in the in the holistic side that was different, what, what, what types of scams or what types of dangers did you see in the holistic side? It was uh, mainly what it was is that there was a lot of quacks. And what one was actually making a supposed cancer cure concoction in his garage. And he was selling it and pretty well known uh, doctor in Southern California. And come to find out this guy was literally bottling this stuff in his garage. There was no sanitary conditions whatsoever. And basically it was ended up being like turmeric water and something else. I can't even remember. And, you know, he would tape the caps shut and he'd reuse Pepsi bottles and it was awful. And he was selling it for like 50 bucks a bottle. And that was the thing that I saw is that it's still human elements involved and there's greed involved. So what I know people do, and I've done this, is I've given just pure faith on the holistic side that everyone's there to do good. Not, you know, not again, going back to the human element. There's always going to be bad apples in the bunch. But with that, it's opportunity too. People see it not only as a way, they see it as a way to kind of dupe people because people want to be better. They want to feel better. So it's all across the board, and that's why I tell people is you have to be careful no matter where you're looking. Just do your due diligence. Don't rely on the fact that just because they're a holistic practitioner that they're there to do you right because I got duped. I I actually went to a very well-known holistic practitioner, actually a, a DO in San Diego, and completely ripped me off. I mean, and ripped me off bad. So what, what, what can people do to find truth when they're selecting a naturopath or, or a medical practitioner? What are some of the governing bodies that oversee their certifications and also what kind of products they sell? Does that exist? And that's a whole other issue um, that people tend to rely upon basically other people to make their decisions for them. And that's the problem. You know, people rely on the government to tell them exactly what to do and where to get their information. And you should be doing that on your own. And that's why people go, well, now that you're out, obviously you don't think the FDA or USDA should exist. And I go, no, not necessarily. I go, that's with them not being around, that would probably be a bad thing. Um, It would have good parts, but it would have bad parts too. You have to have some sort of regulation when you're importing or creating food and drug products. There just has to be some kind of regulatory body. Mm Mm-hmm. But, but unfortunately with that, what happens with any government agency, bureaucracy and special interest gets involved. And I don't care what it is. I mean, look at the Department of Education. It's just as corrupt as the FDA. Totally two different you know, aspects, you know, NASA. And the reason I know is because I used to work in all this. And for that, I just tell people what – that's why I teach self-sufficiency. 
these agencies are there to help, but if you put all your faith into them to make your decisions for you or to regulate or filter things for you, well, that's not really what you should be doing anyway. You know, you should be doing this on your own. You should be going out and finding the good practitioner who's going to work for you. And I learned that, um, that you have to interview your practitioner. And that's what I did after that. After I got duped that time, I went, okay, let me refigure my little schematic out here. And what I would do is I just interview him and I would go by my gut. I'd go, if this person is making me uncomfortable, something's wrong. And I actually had major back surgery and I actually interviewed several doctors. And it worked for me. I ended up with the best neurosurgeon probably I could have found. But if I wouldn't have done that due diligence, the first doctor I went to probably could have paralyzed me. I, I had to dig into his background and look at what this guy was into and come to find out he was into some not so good things. What, what are three or four things that someone can ask to a naturopath or a medical doctor? What are three or four questions that can really start them down this path of finding out if this person is trustworthy or not? If someone is going into surgery or if someone has maybe uh, irritable bowel syndrome or they're experiencing different health mm -hmm. complications, a lot of people out there might not know just where to begin. There's so many things they want to know. There's so many different practitioners to choose from. What are a handful of beginning questions that can put them down the right path in finding if this person is trustworthy or not? That's a great question, Josh. And it's very, very difficult. And I feel sorry for the average consumer today trying to navigate the, the health and wellness realm. It, it, it's really confusing. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of people who call themselves health, health professionals. The easiest way is what I, I like to do is go by recommendation. It's not perfect, but ask people who, you know, if you're having irritable bowel, you know, there's many people who have had it as well. And just ask, you know, your friends or people, you know, um, one of the best resources I have also found is, um, the price Pottinger foundation, nutritional foundation. They have a pretty good list of doctors, even though they have a lot of primarily dentists because Weston A. Price was a dentist. But I have found good luck through that. Um, another way is basically just go online and, and Google them or look them up. You'll get some good information that way. And if they're, they're doing, you know, day-to-day -day work with individuals, usually they'll have a Yelp account. Mm. And that's one really good way. If these guys are bad, it's going to show up in Yelp or one of those. It's not a perfect world. And that's the tough part. But like I tell people, interview them. And it sounds strange to interview your practitioner, but you should. And it, you have to be able to mesh with them personally and on a level where you, you talk to them. And if, like I said, if you're getting an uncomfortable feeling, that means that's usually your you know, inner sense saying, this isn't the person for me. I know that's a weird way to do it, but we've always heard this, trust your gut. Every time I fight my gut, I usually get myself in trouble. Me too. This is a, it's, it's something that always rings with me whenever there's something that, about someone that just rubs me the wrong way. Whenever I go on and ignore that, it usually turns around to bite me. <laughs> it, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, there's no perfect resource far as anything to look up or go to because there's could be perfectly fine practitioners, but, you know, they didn't, you know, some person didn't like them or, you know, and they throw a bad review or, you know, it, it's hard to say. But the, the easiest way is you just have to take your time and, and go to – I usually give myself a list of three to six in anything I'm looking for 
And I'll just schedule my appointments and go to each one, tell them what my problem is or what difficulty I'm having, and then just gauge if I have to find someone new. I mean, obviously, I now have a network, but now I'm having to rediscover my network up here because I've moved. And I'm going through all the same things as I was then, but it takes time. You know, I've already been up here three months looking around. I don't have my full list yet. It's taking a while. And good things always take time too. I mean, Gary, the background that you have is really unique and it comes from a lot of experience. And I'm curious how you formulated this. I mean, you weren't always this clear. It took a lot of time for you to develop this edge and this compass that leads you to the right physicians, the right doctors. When you talk about in your bio about finding those two ways to make health simple and effective for people to actually get the truth out of their bodies and out of health. What did you mean by that? What is the the story behind this desire for truth that you had going through the gauntlet as an FDA special agent? What is What was that like for you? Can you talk a little bit about that? It was because I, I found that even with my background and, and playing sports for so long and being involved in the health industry, that it was confusing for me as well. And that I got lost and took a lot of wrong turns on my journey to trying to obtain optimal health. We never quite get to optimal health, but we're always on the journey. That's the best way I put it. Um, your health will never be perfect. That's just the way nature works. But you're always striving for it, and that's the important part. And with that, I just found a lot of bad information, poorly written information, and just it just was really confusing. You know, I, I, Every time I turned and I was looking for something that I thought was the right path, it ended up taking me on a wrong path. So I had to learn the hard way is what I told people. And I said, you know what? It shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't have taken me this long to figure it out. So for that, what I wanted to do is I wanted to create a way for people to get the right information from a trusted source, myself, I'm not being egotistical, but I have the background in it. And that way they could shortcut and not go on all these wrong journeys. And that's why I wrote my books. They're very short, concise, 150 pages or less. I'm the only guy in the industry who has done that. And it's for a reason. Everyone who's read my book says, gosh, for how short they are, you get a lot of information in there, but you don't put too much science and you don't put too much of your own story. It's kind of this nice balance of the two. You give us just enough so we understand it and we can apply the principles. And that was the key because I want people to get launch and get into it right away and start the transition instead of having to read a whole ton of material, go down too many rabbit holes, and next thing you know, they're confused. And actually, I'm noticing that's what's happening in the paleo world today is I get a lot of people coming to me and they're all, I'm lost. And you know why? It's because they've read too many books, they've been going to too many websites, and now they're lost. Yeah, They had it in the beginning, now they're lost. And it's almost like paralysis by analysis. It is. And I tell people, you know, once you get the concepts, don't start digging too deep. Don't and don't change anything while you're in the process or on the road of making progress. Don't all of a sudden make a change in the middle. Follow it through. See what the end result is. If it's not the right result, then change it. If things are going well, don't mess with it. Just stick with it because we're all different. And the truth side was that on both sides, we discussed this a little bit last time too, is I'm an integrative guy. I believe in modern medicine mixed with the holistic naturopath side is a great blend. You know, I had major back surgery. I had back fusion at age 40. 
I would not want a nutritional therapist doing my back surgery. Just like I don't want my overweight MD giving me nutritional advice. Mm-hmm. So you got to blend the two. You know, you want to make sure you're using both sides because they blend together. And with that, though, there's a lot of, you know, snake oil salesmen on both sides. So it gets tricky because, uh, you know, a lot of people will fall into the, the trap of, well, they're on the holistic side. So obviously they've got a higher moral calling. And I have found as an investigator, that was not the case, Hmm. that there's just as many bad people on the holistic side as there is on the modern medicine side. And we'll definitely touch on that too. Let's let's touch on a little bit your road, Gary. You talk about being an uh, investigator for the FDA. I'm curious, man, you know, your background is unique. I have not seen someone that has the wellness and government background that you've had. You've investigated doctors, uh, major league sports people, uh, different stars. Can you paint a picture of this kind of winding and interesting road and what led you to be known for the primal power method? What did that background look like for you? It was an interesting one because my original background is athletics. And then uh, I was in the military. I was in the intelligence area as a cryptologist and an intelligence officer. And then I was with the U.S. State Department traveling the world doing terrorism investigations, doing physical protection and that kind of work. So my first half of my government career was quite different than the second half. The second half was going into the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Food and Drug Administration. With that, being trying to be a healthy guy, I went into the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And what that is, that taught me how the true medical field works. How, how our health system works as a whole in this country. And it was pretty frightening. Um, that's where I learned greed rules all. I really learned it there. That a lot of our healthcare today has no basis in health. And that really scared me. And it frightened me away from going to doctors. Even when I had, was sick or had something wrong, I wouldn't go. I was like, nuh-uh. You know, I mean, I, I investigated many doctors performing unnecessary surgeries you know, uh, uh, billing for procedures they never did. And I actually experienced that with a doctor who did that to me. Um, so for me, I kind of learned, and that was kind of the, the learning curve. And then when I went in the Food and Drug Administration, that taught me the food and drug side. So I got to get the whole gamut. I basically had this huge picture of our entire healthcare system and our food system and drug system. That was kind of uh, enlightening, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, I mean, the drug industry is just, gosh, I don't even know how to describe it. It, it, It's so filthy. And it's unfortunate because I think that, I don't think that all prescription drugs are bad, but I think a majority come from the wrong place and that's pure profit. And the, the human element is completely removed. They just don't care. It's a bottom line. We're talking multi, multi, multi-billion dollar companies. These companies are huge, massive. Um, and then on the food side, what taught me there was I started actually looking in. I was investigating holistic practitioners. I was in and food uh, or organic ranches. And it kind of opened me up to this whole different world. And don't get me wrong, I was investigating some bad people on that side too. Um, but some weren't, some, we were just, the FDA had a bone to pick with some of them and I'd get to talk to them. And then I started reading the material, going to their websites. And I was like, wow, man, you know, maybe, 
maybe I've got this all wrong because I've always been a very open-minded guy. Even though I've been in the government a long time, I'm a, 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 a lifelong libertarian. You know, I don't believe in Democrats, Republicans. I don't believe in any of that. My attitude is I'm a middle guy. I take the empirical information. I make my own decision. That's how I look at life in general. Let's touch on that quickly when you mentioned that, you know, you take all the information that's out there and you make the educated course of action for yourself. On our last talk, we had gone over, you know, people that are looking to find trust and good DOs or NDs or MDs. There's a difficulty in selecting the right one, especially if you don't have a referral network. Through your journey and your background in investigative uh, science and also looking at these doctors and naturopaths, are there any key commonalities that people can do when researching a new practitioner? The best way that I have found is to start online. Um, any doctor will be part of any rating, usually. There's many rating boards for doctors online. You start there. Actually, I found a couple bad pieces of one of my neurosurgeons that was going to do my back surgery. I, I interviewed about six doctors and narrowed it down to three. And I interviewed them. It was, I went in and I interviewed them, not the other way around. And that's another thing. You have to interview your doctor. And that's the best way. The best way I've found, there's no easy solution. There's no you know, website you go to and it tells you exactly what's wrong with that doctor. You have to do the gut test. Um, and it takes a couple of appointments, honestly, to figure it out. And you just have to go with your gut. If it doesn't seem right or they're not a good mesh or something just doesn't feel right, don't go back. I've learned that one. And what I, it's a lot of work and people don't like to hear this, but I have spent months finding new doctors, you know, or I moved to a new place and finding a primary. I, I, I spend a ton of time figuring out and I do two things. I find a primary normal medical doctor and then I go out and find my primary naturopath doctor, my ND. So I have two, I always have two doctors. And what I do is I balance the two off each other if I end up with a medical condition. And that's another thing that I think is important people need to understand too. No matter how hard you try, how well you eat, how much exercise you get, how much sleep you get, you're going to break. The body is imperfect. And we're dealing with genetics today that have evolved now three generations, four generations of eating highly processed food. I hate to say it, but genetically we're broken. There are things we cannot fix. Um, I don't use that as a crutch for everything because people like to use that. But there are certain conditions that we have that we need medical help. Even the guys like us, you know, me and you were talking about that. We're, we're not perfect. You know, I still have medical issues here and there. It still happens. And with that, it's just you have to do your research. It's just like changing your diet and exercise. You know, you have to put in the time. There's no magic green pill or blue pill or red pill. It doesn't work that way. But people need to understand that our bodies are a huge, huge chemistry experiment going on at all times. You try and cheat certain biopathways and try to get a certain result, it's going to snap back and bite you. And I tell people that all the time. If you're looking for that magic, magic pill, you're going to take it. It's going to work for a week or two, sure. and then all of a sudden things are going to fall apart. <laughs> yes. You know, remember ephedra? <laughs> Definitely. This is a good transition point, too, because we talk about fads and things that people can do that might be a green or blue pill. 
in your book, there is a section, and it's the principles of what you've, what you've deemed the primal power method. So I want to read these to the listener. Number one, knowledge is power. Number two, avoid extremes. Number three, keep it simple. Number four, something is better than nothing. Number five, take action in every day. I want to touch on number three. There is so much information out there. How do people keep it simple when approaching a transition to primal or paleo eating? How do people actually make it simple with so much info out there? That is the struggle. And I do. I feel sorry for people today trying to change their health because it is incredibly complicated. Because it is. It's, it's data overload. It really is. There's so much information out there. And I don't even read a lot of other material anymore because it's too confusing. I pick certain topics I want to learn about and I go find the books, but I honestly don't follow a whole lot of primal paleo stuff anymore because everyone is now a primal paleo expert. You know, the guy that used to work at the car wash last week is now a paleo expert and he's got his own recipe blog. It's insane. It is literally insane. And I do tell people the way to keep it simple, one of the best ways is to start with that knowledge is power and do your research. If someone, if you're looking into someone to follow or, or follow their information and start on the path and they don't have a background in anything related to health, bail. Don't pursue it any further. I don't care how smart this person thinks they are. It's the 10,000 hour rule. And we've all heard this. If you don't have 10,000 hours in a subject, first of all, you better not be calling yourself an expert by any stretch. Second of all, if you haven't helped anyone besides yourself, don't go start helping other people and calling, touting yourself as a guru. You know, you're not. And that's the biggest problem I have with the paleo primal world right now is there's a lot of people that have no background in anything related to health. And I got hit on this because I did an interview on it and just kind of went off one day because I was just aggravated. And with that, I got a, a, a blowback from a couple of the people saying, well, we didn't learn it wrong. You know, we haven't been influenced by, you know, the tainted medical industry and food industry. And I go, but have you taken a biology course just because you read a couple paleo books and now you do cute recipes online? You think you're there to help people? I go, that's, that's really harmful. And it's insulting to the people who have dedicated their lives to trying to help people. And that's the people I'm getting is I'm getting the people who have followed these individuals and are now lost or sicker than sicker and heavier than when they started. And don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not like you can't go help people, but I had a good conversation with someone who has recently got into the industry and I've been, people will come to me for that too, who are new. They go, okay, Gary, how do you do this? And I go, oh gosh, you know, I tell them years, it's experience, experience and knowledge are what make you the expert, not just knowledge. You can read a million books that does not make you an expert. So you have to work with people. And I told this guy, I said, start working with people for free. I went, don't charge for your services and tell them up front that you're new into this industry, but you'd like to help them because you know more than them, but you're not going to charge them for it. I went, do it for a year and just help people. I love that. That is so cool. That is so cool, man. I, the point that you made where people that might just be starting out or, or someone that wants to make a transition into doing some type of fitness or wellness or health coaching, 
give your services for free. Be truthful. Be authentic. Let them know that you're just starting out. This is a great point, man. And I think the transition here is really about behavior. So people starting a program, whether they're a coach and doing their own self-discovery, or they're a seasoned veteran who's helping people that are just starting out, maybe neophytes that are looking for that transition. I'm curious, Gary, you know, you have been doing this for a long time. What is the number one thing you've seen across the board that comes up as a roadblock for people when taking on new healthy behaviors? Overwhelming. It's just overwhelming. That's the part that I see is the biggest kind of stumbling block. That they've gone through the, you know, the fad diets in the past. It worked for a little bit. It doesn't work anymore. And as they age, uh, especially I know you work with clients, a lot of clients too, is when they hit that mid-30s is when things really start to come to a head. And now they're, they're desperate because they're all, I'm getting worse. I feel like crap. Now what? I've tried everything, you know, and they're just completely discouraged. And it makes it harder on people like me and you because now they don't believe either. They think everyone's out just to take a buck out of their pocket. And what makes you different? And that's the hard part is you have to gain their trust and explain to them that, okay, I'm going to simplify this for you. This stuff is not that complicated. Once I give you the basic principles, and I tell clients, you got six months. That's all you get. If you're with me after six months and you're not an athlete that I'm training for to go into competitive athlete who's going into college or professional sports, you're not going to stick with me six months. I will terminate you at some point because I don't have the time and effort because I got to help other people. And if you're consuming all of my time and you're not progressing, well, this isn't working for either one of us. And they kind of look at me like, what? And I won't take everyone on either. If you're not, you're not in the right, your head's not in the right place. And I tell them the psychological perspective of it. If you're not ready we're, we're also wasting our time. If you're not here for you and you first, you know, you're doing it for a family member, you know, you're doing it for your children. I go, that is an excuse. That is not going to work. You have to be here for you first. Once you get that through your head and you're dedicated, because I used to call it deflected failure. Mm -hmm. And it is a, a terminology that I used with people kind of like, like an AA almost kind of concept is that if you're doing it for you, and you fail, you're going to be much harder on yourself than if you're doing it for someone else and you fail. Believe it or not, it sounds weird, but it's true. If I screw something up and I'm doing it for me, I'm really, really agitated. I'm really upset. But if I'm kind of doing something for someone else, you know, like doing a project, you know, like helping them with their leaky plumbing and I can't fix it, I'm like, oh, I tried. You know, you throw your hands up and go, all right, I got to do other stuff. I got to go home or whatever. But if I screw my plumbing up in my house, I'm spending hours and weeks or whatever trying to fix it and trying to get it right. That's the concept I use. So I tell people that you got to be there for the right thing. And, uh, you know, with that, the information overload and kind of the, the hurdles, the easiest way is like I say, I, I created a system that's very sis simple and straightforward. My books, I've had success on my books alone that I just say, buy my three books. I go, I'm not trying to sell you anything. Just buy my, my three books. You can return them if you want. I'll buy them back from you if you don't like them. How's that sound? And they're all, really? I'm all, yes. This is certain people. Don't, I don't want everyone thinking they can sell their books back to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Got to put a little disclaimer in there. Next thing I know, everyone's all, hey, I'm healthy now. Here are your books back. Um, that I've never had that happen. But 
I tell them just follow through with it. And people have come back to me and gone, wow. They go, I don't even have any questions. You covered pretty much everything in a simple form. And I've had people lose a hundred pounds. I want to transition here and shift gears into behavior. So we touched on a little bit the things that come up for people around making changes, possibly not doing it for themselves, doing it for a family member. And you touched on a point that was that was really valuable that I want people to to focus on here. And it's making the change because you've chosen that for yourself, not for someone else. Are you, are you seeing in your practice when people have cravings that they know will hold them back from a new lifestyle, how do you go about getting people's cravings to work for them instead of against them? You know, whether it's a sugar craving or anything that's taking them away from their goal, how do you make it so that people can actually have their cravings work for them? That's a great question. Um, and that's the toughest one. And obviously the biggest one is sugar. Um, we ingest as humans today, far, far too much sugar and we get it as almost, it's a drug of our choice is the way I like to explain. Cause we know that sugar acts the same way as cocaine and heroin in the brain. It triggers off the same neurotransmitters and it gives us an addiction and, and you do become addicted to sugar. And with that, people, I, I, when I explain it as an addiction, it becomes more clear to them. And then I explain, you know, you, we're getting sugar, we're mainlining it because we're getting sugar in a refined form that will never get in nature. Because I get the argument, well, there's sugar in fruit and there's sugar in certain foods. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, agreed. But what we're doing is we're refining beet sugar and cane sugar for the most part. And then we're just eating the raw component of sugar, just ingesting it straight, which our, the human body was never intended to process sugar that way. It was always meant to be in a food item. So what we do is I say, okay, in the beginning, I, and my sugar transition is slow compared to other people's. I tell people 12 to 18 months to break the addiction of sugar. This is a journey. We're going to go, this takes a while. It takes two to three years for your body to fully transition, to change, noticing that your allergies, seasonal allergies are going away, the eczema, the asthma. It takes time. You can get a good 30-day boost, but... You've been wrecking your body for decades. It's not going to fix itself during a 21-day sugar detox or whatever the latest craze is. It's not going to work that way. So with that, I tell people what we want to do is we want to transition you first in the beginning from the, the processed sugar into the non-processed sugar. So yeah, we're exchanging a sugar for a sugar, but at least we're getting you to a better sugar. So, and you're cutting it out at the same time. So I'm telling them you need to take out 25% to start right away. So figure out how much you're ingesting a day. What, look at your labels. You need to cut that down 25% right away. That's a big chunk, especially today with as much as we consume about 43 teaspoons a day. That's <laughs> what the average American is consuming in sugar. It's hidden. It's in, it's in all kinds of products, right? I mean, I'm, I'm sure people have seen Food Inc. There is sugar in everything. Everything. It's in lunch meat today. It's in, you know, your, it's in your salad dressings. It's jam-packed in your yogurt, your fruit drinks. And that's one of the first things I tell them to stop drinking too is soda and fruit drinks. I don't care if it's 100% fruit. I don't care. Stop drinking it. it. It's a sugar bomb and you need to stay away from it. And with that, we take that transition and we say, okay, what we want to do too is let's, let's work on consuming more fruit and vegetables, you know, and you have to put limits on them. But most people who do it this way, I've found have far more success than the people who try and cut 
sugar cold turkey because we know what happens. You end up with the same thing as withdrawals, headaches, nausea, irritation, shakes, uh, chills, um, eyes burning. You know, all this stuff comes about trying to detox from sugar because it is acting just like a drug. So I tell people, and everyone who does that tries to cut it cold turkey who's consuming a lot of sugar, they never make it. They make it a couple days and I feel awful. I go, yeah, you know, you just basically cut out heroin. (laughs) You know, yeah, that's basically what you just did. And so, yeah, with that, I like to use that as, uh, you know, just transitioning and using it and saying that you don't have to cut out all sugar. It's just you have to limit and use your head on where your sugar is coming from. It's almost in a way like they're reprogramming their brain, but it's it, the way I'm hearing you is that you're describing it as a more long-term process rather than 21 days or 30 days or whatever it is. And it's true. I mean, if sugar is a drug and we know that it's the same neural pathway as heroin, then it's not going to be changed in, in a month. It's going to take months because it took you months and months and months to, to develop that habit. So I really resonate with that, man. I used to deal with a lot of um, nighttime sugar cravings that I had to go down the road and figuring out. It took me a couple of years. So I think you're right on with that. And I want to touch on for people that are training we know that the cravings can work against them. Training can also work against people. So for a mom or a female who's starting training, is there things that you've seen for women specifically that throw them off compared to males when they're first starting their training? It's uh, With females, it tends to be the, the cardio is king attitude or queen. And they take it as if I run or get on the treadmill or get on the stair climber for two hours – and just pound away at it. That's the best way for me to lose weight. And we all know what that ends up doing is that ends up being overtraining. Uh, uh, they don't, they're not building good muscle mass, lean muscle mass to burn more calories, which will make them leaner naturally. So what they do is they avoid weightlifting because it's got a bad stigma or working with resistance training and they just focus in on cardio and that's it. And they do marathon sessions of cardio. I tell women, we've got to get you into resistance training. You're not going to look like the Hulk. You're not going to have huge traps and, you know, and that's not how it works. Anyone who has been watching or watched the latest version of the CrossFit games that just happened, these women are not natural. I'm going to put it right. The guys aren't either. It has turned into an absolute chemical freak show. These people are on so much testosterone and HGH and whatever they're on. That is not how the human body looks naturally, especially the females. Some of these females, I mean, I call it uh, the chipmunk uh, cheeks. That is the biggest symptom of testosterone, taking testosterone. If a woman has uh, chipmunk cheeks and a squared face, you know, that's, that's, she's using te- synthetic testosterone. That is not the natural female form. So that, that is not really attainable. I mean, when you see the traps on some of these women, holy cow. I mean- Women don't have shoulders and traps like that naturally. You just don't. They don't have the testosterone levels and they're not, don't, do not have the ability to build that kind of muscle naturally. Yeah, I'm sure I'm going to get some emails. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get You're, some emails on this one. You are, and I'm sure I'll get it too. The CrossFit community is very, very loyal. I get it. But the CrossFit Games has turned into an absolute joke. Honestly, it, they might as well get together with the UFC combine the sports and just jack themselves up with as much drugs as they possibly can at this point. It's, it's a farce. I mean, I'm an athletic guy. I've played sports all my life. 
I'm a big fan of doing everything naturally. Is there times and points for, you know, bioidenticals and stuff like that? Well, that's a topic for another time. But this is at a different level. I mean, I, I, did you watch any of them? It's ridiculous. No, no. But I mean, the, the, the thing about CrossFit is if it's done safely and if it's periodized, a lot of CrossFit, they put balls in a hopper and that's how they pick their wad. But if it's periodized correctly and if the training stimulus is based off of a quality assessment, I think it's great. Yeah, but it's just absolutely. the coach. It's the box. It's not that CrossFit's bad. It's no. just that it's a tool. And like any tool, it can be compromised. So I completely resonate with what you're saying, man. And I, I, there's a section of your book, actually, a lot of intermittent fasting happens in CrossFit. And the last two things I wanted to share with people is your work in intermittent fasting and a little touch on technology. And then we'll have people directed to where they can learn more about you and the primal power method. Let's touch on intermittent fasting for just a minute here. It's sure. a popular topic. I mean, everybody is doing some form of intermittent fasting. Is it for everyone? And who is it really for? Who is intermittent fasting for? No, and that's why uh, I, I wrote it at the end of the book. And, and people found that fascinating. I went, well, the reason I put it at the end of the book is because if I put it anywhere in the beginning, you would jump right to that and try that instead. And I, I, I've told, tell people intermittent fasting is something you work towards, not something you start with. And the reason why is your body is not fat adapted. 99% of Americans today are sugar burners. The human body is intended to burn fat as its primary fuel source. That's why you have, you can basically store unlimited amounts of fat, but glycogen, our sugar storage system in our muscles and liver, you can only store an average human about 14 ounces. That's it. That's it. You're done. So you're not intended to burn sugar all the time. And we have gluconeogenesis, which we know can convert fat and protein into needed glucose as we need it. But primarily our body likes to burn fat as energy. Well, with that, you have to take this conversion and it's the same thing as you detoxing from the sugar because they go hand in hand. Is you want to reach this journey because your blood glucose levels are so out of whack in the beginning that you have insulin resistance and you're pumping in way too much insulin, which is going to give you the yo-yo effect, which makes you hungry and binge and do all the things you don't want to do. Well, that doesn't work with intermittent fasting because you're fighting your body at that point. Your body wants to burn sugar, and yet you're trying to force it to burn fat when it's not, not, it's not adapted. Your body hasn't adapted to that yet. So what people do is they have crashes. They try intermittent fasting. I've, I've heard of people passing out in the gym. <laughs> I mean, because they haven't eaten, and they, they're just not adapted to it. So what I tell people is, you want to work, and I teach my clients this, is in the beginning, I do something that is against what a lot of primal and paleo people teach in the beginning. I go back to the five, six meals a day. I get them on that routine. I th Two to three good-sized meals with a couple snacks in between because what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to stabilize their blood sugar in the beginning. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to get it consistent. Then from there, what we do is we start weeding meals out as you're no longer hungry. As you adapt, on average, a person will eat one to three meals a day, depending on what you're doing. That's how I've learned the human body works. I only eat when I'm hungry. People ask me when I eat, what are my eating times and what do I eat? And I go, 
God, I really don't plan it. But that's because, I mean, you've had 30 years of practicum and I love, I love what you said about incorporating one step at a time. No drastic changes happen in 30 days. So yeah, cause you're going to get derailed and intermittent fasting derails a lot of people cause it's hard if you've never done it and intermittent fasting, there's a couple ways to look at it. You can do, there's the, the most well-known version is where you basically have an eight hour eating period where you eat for eight hours and then you don't eat for the remaining, you know, 16 hours. You just fast. So you're only consuming water at that point or, you know, maybe some tea, a small cup of coffee or whatever, as long as it's organic. And, you know, so you don't eat during that period. And what that does is that forces your body to go into your fat storage and burn fat primarily during that fasting period. What that does is that will help your body kind of regulate itself, not only hormonally, but you'll be slimmer. You'll have a better and more controlled appetite, and you will. You'll start to eat when you're hungry. Well, this is a very difficult transition, and I I get really upset with the people. uh, It became very popular personal trainers in the gym to put their clients on intermittent fasting right away. It doesn't work. It totally doesn't work. You're basically trying to make someone starve themselves or what they think they're starving themselves because they don't understand the principles and their body's not ready for it. So by taking your time and allowing your body to naturally do that, and with intermittent fasting, what you're doing is you're mimicking in nature when you would, you know, we were hunter-gatherers. So, you know, basically once it became dark, our eating was pretty limited unless we had food storage. Now you can also do, there's another thing I do every once in a while is a couple days a week, I won't eat for 24 hours. I'll extend the fast a little bit. And that will really force me to go into a deep, deep sense of fat burning. And I do it every once in a while and it kind of, it's a detoxifying effect too, helps cleanse the body because in nature, there'd be periods where we may go a couple days, three, four days without eating, depending. I mean, we may get very little what's around us, you know, maybe some grubs, maybe a some foliage of some sort that was around, that would be about it. So I kind of try and mimic how nature would work the best I can, but that's how intermittent fasting works. Beyond the the benefits of intermittent fasting and, and the cellular cleanup, that's a way that people who are, are you know, maybe towards the mid or or more advanced section of their journey when they're trying to lose fat or whatever it might be. So people that are, that are just starting out IF or intermittent fasting may not be, or it sounds like it is not the best way to, to begin training for uh, sports performance or fat loss. So thanks for touching on that. The last thing I want to go over is wellness technology. A lot of guests we've had on the show, Gary, are device manufacturers or people that are using different pieces of technology or devices to help other humans sustain long-term behavior change. I know that you used to have different relationships with Fitbit and you have played around in the technology aspect. Is there anything that you use now and can you contrast that that journey for people who are just selecting these devices in their, in the beginning. Yeah. And Fitbit was a great tool. Uh, now you have Apple watch, which I've seen. I haven't played around with it very much. Um, but they work great in, in a way for you to kind of monitor your movement. And that's the best way to actually my Fitbit would work when I mountain biked. It didn't work perfectly, but it would work. I mean, I was pretty surprised with the, the results were fairly accurate because I was tracking my mileage on my bike and it was close. It wasn't too far off. Um, but with that, it was a way just to monitor 
what I was doing every day, and I like it for clients in the sense that it gives them empirical data. And the Fitbit, I haven't used it in a while, but I liked it because it was simple. That was my big thing. It was easy to figure out, easy to download the information. Um, but I like the simple tools, and I like the monitoring tools in the beginning. And if you're going to go to a trainer, I think they're excellent tools. I mean, if you're going to hire a, 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 you know, a personal trainer or lifestyle coach, and they can use, utilize those tools with you, I think they're fantastic. Um, but you have to be careful with them is that they can overwhelm the client. You know, they already have a lot on their mind and you go, okay, by the way, you've got to download this app, go buy this piece of equipment. Oh, and you're going to have to learn, you know, how to monitor it. And I want you to tell me how, and people, they just glaze over. And they're like, oh God, you know, I'm, I, I'm just trying to lose, I'm just trying to lose some weight and get healthier. And with that, I think it's, it's good for people who are really competitive. I think they're excellent. Um, but for the beginner, it can be a little tricky. Sure. Like one more thing to do. So wellness technology may not be a fit for everyone, but for the people that are open-minded to it, you've seen it be a good basis for starting that journey. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know, competitive athletes, there's a ton of data now that they use. I'm torn on that as well. Um, I guess I come from kind of the old school method of, I guess it was what Rocky three or whatever, <laughs> you know, where one guy's, uh, the Russian and then Rocky training in the woods with his logs. I'm Rocky with the guy with the logs. I like to keep it simplified in the sense that I'm more, and this isn't for everyone. That's the thing too, is realize what I'm teaching isn't the gospel. It's not, you have to follow this. Everyone does things differently and it's what you're comfortable with and what you, what you enjoy. We talked so much today about these different topics in technology and behavior change and also, you know, primal living, how to incorporate that in all these, these varied tool sets. What is wellness to you? What is your definition of wellness? To me, the overall, I would describe it as happiness. I think that's the best way to put it. If you're healthy and you're well, you're happy, you know, and do wellness should be something that you enjoy. It shouldn't be a task that you don't look forward to. And everything, that's why I do things the way I do them. Everything I incorporate into my wellness, they're all things I love to do. And that's what makes me happy. It makes me healthier for it. So not to say that wellness will always equal happiness. That doesn't necessarily, but it sure helps. I've noticed that the healthier I am, I sure seem to be a heck of a lot happier. Let's give people a, a place where they can learn more about you and Primal Power Method. Yeah, my main website is primalpowermethod.com, common spelling. And everything is on there, all my social media links, my YouTube. I have a ton of YouTube videos. I'm documenting my off-the-grid project on YouTube. Matter of fact, I got to get a couple videos up. I'm building the house right now. And uh, that's the best way. You can buy my books there. You can buy, I sell supplements there, uh, my own brand of supplements. And I have some grass-fed jerky and uh, some beef sticks and uh, chicken primal bites that are, are my brand that I just put out there. And if you want to get my books, you can buy them on Amazon, iTunes, and in Kindle version as well. So that's the best way, though, is to go to my website. But you can also find me on iTunes and uh, Amazon. Thanks so much for coming on today. I know this is going to resonate with people who are starting their journey, but there's also some great nuggets in there for people that are veterans as well. So Gary Collins, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Josh. 
thanks for listening to the show. Head on over to wellnessforce.com slash radio for all the links, show notes, and bonus content. If you're interested in changing old habits with new technology, download your free digital health transformation guide at wellnessforce.com slash radio. Radio.